It's Friday, January 26th, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. When it comes to grant making, there are all kinds of ways to measure success. Which assets get built or improved? How many people are served? How much economic activity is generated? And how much of that wealth comes back to communities? Those are all important considerations, but at the same time, there are just as many intangible metrics. People talk about it as if it were a magical place. When you go to the park, you have an opportunity to be silent with nature. That's that's remarkable for me. By any measure, the Keystone Fund has been one of the most successful grant programs in Pennsylvania history. And this year, the fund marks its 25th anniversary. We're celebrating by recognizing a few of the more than 4,500 projects that have benefited over the years from Keystone dollars and from the locally raised funds those dollars have leveraged. That's coming up on this episode. First, let's take a look at some upcoming dates on the PEC events calendar. The Schuylkill Center for Environmental Education in Philadelphia has just opened a new art exhibition, Learn a River's Name. It features work from seven artists exploring ways of building connections between southeastern Pennsylvanians and the many unnamed streams and tributaries of the Schuylkill, Delaware, Brandywine, and Hudson River watersheds. The show opened this week. It runs through April 21st. Thursday, February 1st, is the quarterly gathering of the Northeastern Pennsylvania Trails Forum in Tunkhannock. The day starts with a hike on the Iroquois Trail, followed by lunch and a roundtable meeting. And Thursday, February 8th, is the deadline to submit nominations for the 2018 Western Pennsylvania Environmental Awards, recognizing outstanding achievements in a wide range of environmental initiatives throughout the region. The winners will be honored at the Western Pennsylvania Environmental Awards Dinner and Awards Ceremony in Pittsburgh on May 24th. You can submit your nomination on the PEC website. You'll find the form along with details for all of these events and more at PECPA.org events. And you can add to that list one more date that if you're in the southwestern corner of the state, you'll want to circle in red February 23rd. That is the deadline to apply for mini grants under the Laurel Highlands Conservation Landscape Program. PEC program manager Marla Meyer Papernick administers the mini grant program in the Laurel Highlands on behalf of the State Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. She joins us now. Marla, welcome. Thanks very much, Josh. First of all, just some background on the Conservation Landscape Program and how it's being carried out in the Laurel Highlands. The Conservation Landscape Program in the Laurel Highlands is one of seven large landscapes uh, sponsored by the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. It's one of the older ones. It's designed to encourage and promote collaboration amongst people working in land use and water restoration and, and tourism and outdoor recreation and trail construction, basically all things outdoor rec, to promote livable landscape protection and stewardship. And the emphasis is on outdoor recreation, but there's also conservation and other sort of environmental restoration projects involved? Yes, exactly. And it's also trail building. And right right now we're looking at placing a value on water. We're doing an economic impact study to work with watershed associations to give them the ability to talk about their work with a real dollar value. Tell me about the mini grant program. How long has it been around and what does it what does it do? 
The mini-grant program is also DCNR-supported and funded. It's been in the landscape for a while, but this is the first year that PEC is administering it through the Large Landscape Program, uh, and it's designed to support the goals of the landscape and the five committees that we have running in the Laurel Highlands, and those include those topics that I mentioned, land, water, trails, infrastructure, outdoor rec, and we also added a communications component to it. Okay, so how much money is available in total, and what are the amounts usually given out as many grants? So we have a total of $50,000 to give out, and that requires a one-to-one match, which is very important. And we plan to give these out in um, between grants the size of $1,000 up to $10,000. What's the sort of baseline average amount? That's a good question. I'm not sure, but I think a lot of them coming in around $3,000, $2,500, and we probably will have one or two at the $10,000 level. And what kinds of work are people doing with these? So these are really designed to support a variety of projects and often support those things you just can't get the money to do. For example, you can buy equipment with this. People have put in ADA-accessible docks. People have repaired roofs with these. People have done some you know, trail work with these, matching other trail monies. So it's really varied, and that's sort of what's so exciting about it. Let's talk about eligibility. Who can apply for this? Who can receive a grant? So the conservation landscape is defined by four counties, and they include Cambria, Fayette, Somerset, and Westmoreland. We're encouraging all Pennsylvania nonprofits in that area, conservation districts, educational institutions, municipal government, all of those people can apply. How competitive is the process? We'll find out. We've already, uh, we've already got applications rolling in, and we just opened the grant period for on uh, January 17th, and they're due February 23rd. So I think it's going to be pretty competitive this year. So Marla, you're going to be looking at these applications as they come in. What are your suggestions for putting together a really, really solid uh, application? What are you going to be looking for? So remember, there's a committee of people reading these, not just me. And the application is very straightforward. It's on our website. And you just want to answer the questions concisely and clearly, giving the detail that we need to know to make a decision. But we don't need to know really any more than that. We've tried to make it as easy as possible. And it's also important to pay attention to the budget. Show your in-kind and your cash match when you submit the budget. You know, show us the whole total cost of the project. If you are working with other organizations and they're not necessarily the applicant, but they will be impacted by your project, it would be uh, helpful to have letters of support from those people to show that they're aware of the project and they're all for it. How do you apply for a mini-grant? You go to the PEC website, pecpa.org slash LHCL mini. And we'll make sure we post the link to that as well. So it's easy to fill out the application on the website. Are there alternative means of submitting an application if for whatever reason that doesn't work for somebody? Sure, they can download it and email it to me. I can be reached at mpapernick at peckpa.org. And you are the person to contact with any questions. That's right. Okay, thanks, Marla. Thanks, Josh. Marla Meyer-Papernick serves on PEC's behalf as external lead for the DCNR Laurel Highlands Conservation Landscape. By the way, PEC also administers many grants for the Pocono Forest and Waters Conservation Landscape in northeastern Pennsylvania. We'll be accepting applications for that round of grant making later this spring. Keep an eye on the website at peckpa.org for more information. 
Since its inception, the Keystone Recreation, Park, and Conservation Fund has made possible the creation or improvement of thousands of community assets, everything from parks and trails to libraries and historic sites. Funded by a 15 percent share of the state's realty transfer tax, it returns those dollars many times over in the form of payrolls, tax revenues, and cost savings. When legislation establishing the fund was passed in 1993, the vote was nearly unanimous. In recent years, though, budget maneuvering in Harrisburg has put its future in question. Despite that, among Pennsylvania residents, the program's more popular than ever. For proof, you need look no further than the KeystoneFund.org website, where our friends at the Pennsylvania Land Trust Association have compiled a trove of what they call Keystone Fund success stories. These are first-person accounts from around the state written by people who use fund-supported amenities and resources, illustrating just how much those assets mean to communities. Well, in honor of the 25th anniversary of the Keystone Fund, let's hear from some of the contributors to that Success Stories project in their own words. My name is John Marquette. I live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, in the Lehigh County portion of it. I live along the Monocacy Creek, which is the probably the more important of the two waterways in the, the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem Steel grew up on the Lehigh River, but the community of the Lenny Lenape and then the Moravians found the Monocacy Creek, one of Pennsylvania's 60 limestone creeks, to be a whole lot more important to, uh, to foster life and to foster uh, small industry and farming of the natives and of the uh, immigrants from uh, Moravia in Europe. I first learned about Hausnick Park and its companion property, the Archibald Johnston Conservation Area, in 2013, about two years after I moved here. It's about five miles directly up the Monocacy Creek from my home. And interestingly, the acreage of the original properties purchased by Bethlehem's first mayor, Archibald Johnston, it's about the same size and with the same land features as Hyde Park, the property of Commodore Vanderbilt off the Hudson River. Railroad, water features, bluff, riding trails. And that was a golden time for the city of Bethlehem in the years between 1920 and 1948 when Johnston died. He built out almost a square mile doing things that the DEP and DCNR would scream and wail if he'd attempted to do them today. He built bridges. He put in a road infrastructure. He walled the Monocacy Creek for almost a mile of its length, both sides. He built boat launches. He created an environment uh, to capture water from a stream that he pumped up to the house and stored in a massive cistern that fed the farms. Go back to your childhood. Disney movie, Jungle Book, decaying buildings and temples in India, Mowgli walking through and seeing, seeing what happens when the jungle moves back in. We don't have jungles in Pennsylvania, but we do have aggressive flora and fauna that will creep into a crack in the mortar and push those stones apart. And flowers will burst out of those cracks and moss will fill so what's happening is we are seeing nature reclaim its own. And it's still safe. That's the beauty of it. We see how nature is returning the apple orchard to wild apples. 
the cedar grove that Johnston so lovingly planted. I've seen the drawings with undulating uh, heights of cedars leading from the big house to the family swimming pools. We see how trees drop their leaves, branches fall, and it becomes part of Pennsylvania wildness again. And it's so close to Bethlehem. The house sits on top of a bluff overlooking the Monocacy. Perhaps 200 of the original 600 acres are open and available through a variety of programs to the public. Natural Lands Trust, the County of Northampton, Bethlehem Township has done a wonderful job in collaboration with the uh, township of building parking lot, making trails, building out the uh, infrastructure just enough so that people can enjoy the passive benefits of this park. The Keystone Fund, I believe, was partially responsible through DCNR for putting in a beautiful parking lot in the approach from the east, coming in from Christian Spring Road. Before that parking lot existed, which takes up maybe an acre of uh, what was before uh, farmland, uh, which was still being farmed, there were about four places to park and a porta potty and little information about the park itself. Money from the fund has gone in, I believe, for uh, trail blazing and uh, trail mapping. And all of those points make me feel like the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is looking out for those of us who live in this area to give us access to something so beautiful. I believe that increased interest in the properties has made a difference. For example, the home of Archibald Johnston's son, known as Arch Jr., was owned by Central Moravian Church and was not on the tax rolls. I believe as a part of the work that we've been doing, that property was sold and is now back on the tax rolls as a single family, a very large single family home. That is one very small example of showing how interest in the advantages of living adjacent to a beautiful park, a beautiful wild park, starts to bring additional interest back to what people otherwise just wanted to develop. A local developer took a plot of land and put in a 55-plus community that is specifically designed for people to walk to the park. And all of those units, all of those single-family homes, I believe are now occupied, and they're probably in phase three. And those properties are on the tax roll because of where they are located. People talk about it as if it were a magical place. That's hard to explain. It's not a traditional park in a place that kind of likes traditionally defined things. So when you go to the park, you have an opportunity to be silent with nature as you're walking. That's, that's remarkable for me. My name is Meg Reed. I am the executive director of Horizons at Lancaster Country Day School, and I live in Lancaster. We are a program for low-income children from the city of Lancaster. Uh, we're mostly a summer program. So we serve kids for six weeks in the summer and try to give them opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise get to have. It's a lot of academics, but then we take field trips every week and really try to give them some hands-on learning and enriching experiences that aren't part of, of what they would normally get to do. 
Climbers Run is out in, in Peckway, Lancaster County, in the southern end of the county. It is a beautiful preserve with this long winding driveway. It has you know wildflowers blooming everywhere. It's got a barn. Um, there's a beautiful pond with lily pads and a stream where our students have done stream studies, all sorts of habitats for different types of animals. There's you know wooded areas, grassy meadows, just about anything you could imagine. When I was getting this program off the ground, I was in touch with someone from um, the Lancaster County Conservancy who said, hey, I think we have some opportunities. Uh, would your kids want to come out and play around in nature? And I said, absolutely, we would. And I, I myself had never been to Climbers Run before, so it was a first time for me as well. So our first visit was in summer 2015. We went there several times over the course of our summer program. and had really wonderful experiences. And then we've been invited back for the last two summers and hopefully um, for many to come. And it's just been a really valuable partnership. We're so grateful. And, and we've not had to pay a dime, which has been um, especially incredible because we operate on a very small budget. Um, so it makes it possible for our kids to have those experiences just like their you know, middle and upper income peers are having during the summer and they love it. These are kids who live in Lancaster. They um, you know, live in an urban setting. A lot of them don't go outside of their own homes as much because they don't have a safe place to play. So just on the bus ride, we were driving past cornfields and cow pastures and they were so excited, uh, you know, just to be out in the countryside, which, you know, living in Lancaster, you wouldn't think that that would be some sort of extraordinary experience. Um, but for these kids, it really is. That alone was was exciting. And then we pulled down the, this long winding driveway and it's lined by trees and wildflowers and the kids were just, you know, wide eyed and excited um, to be there. And we, you know, crunched onto this gravel parking lot and went into this big barn and they have stuffed birds and all different types of animals that, you know, would inhabit the climbers run habitat. And the kids were just like so excited as they looked around and kind of getting a taste of what they were going to get to experience outside of the barn. So they got together in, in small groups and there were naturalists there that the Lancaster County Conservancy provided for us. So they were guiding our groups on, you know, little, little adventures. They went on, I think, a habitat hunt where they went looking for, you know, what kinds of animals would live, you know, in the pond, for example, or what kinds of animals would live in this wooded area. They, you know, got to go out and experience and, you know, get a little dirty and sweaty and, you know, when you're five, something like that feels like a big adventure. And so they were, they were pretty excited by the time they were all finished. We have a few kids who had always sort of shown interest in, you know, animals. They liked dogs and cats and things like that, but they started to get more interested in wild animals, insects, things of that nature that they had never really had the chance to see or learn about before. One of the naturalists showed us skeletons of some of the different animals that would live in the climbers run area and talked about like this is why they have this certain bone structure this is why they have eyes located on this part of their skull versus where you know talking about the survival reasons behind it and so kids got excited about that aspect of learning about science stuff that you can't replicate in a textbook or even a video you know just to see those things in person and then to be there and think oh this raccoon who's skeleton I'm holding, you know, his brothers and sisters <laughs> live right here. And it kind of brings it home for kids who may have only seen these things in a textbook or on a TV show. It really brings that to life. And so we did notice that kids were much more enthusiastic about things to do with science and outdoors and insects and 
all sorts of things that maybe had never even been on their radar before. From the first time that we went to Climbers Run to the most recent time in summer 2017, there had been some major improvements made to some of the facilities there, improved bathroom facilities and things like that, just making it easier for a group like ours to visit because when you've got little kids, you've got to have plenty of bathrooms available, you know, shaded and cool places to be because, it, you know, we were there in the hot summer afternoon, so it was nice to have a place where they could go and cool off and have a drink of water and that kind of thing. Just the entire property is beautiful. We live in such a beautiful place and you know, to preserve those kinds of places is such a valuable thing. I, mean, I didn't think of myself as like an outdoorsy person necessarily, but when you go there and you experience the, you know, the peacefulness and the beauty and you realize how many plants and animals make their homes there, you know, it just seems like so important to keep, you know, keep healthy and keep living. <laughs> John Marquette and Meg Reed wrote about how their communities have benefited from the Keystone Fund. You can read their success stories and many more at keystonefund.org. We'll include the link in the show notes for this episode. And we'll bring you more success stories from the Keystone Fund over the course of this year as part of the 25th anniversary celebration. That's all for this episode of Pennsylvania Legacies. New episodes post every other week at PECPA.org slash audio. That's the PEC website. You can also subscribe in iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can send your feedback to legacies at PECPA.org and follow us on Twitter at PECPA. We're on Facebook as well. Until next time, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening. Thank you.